0: everyone, and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. And I should add, our awards-nominated politics podcast. If you didn't catch it last week, we do have a nomination from the Canadian Online Publishing Awards. Very exciting. Yay! Yeah, this is uh, Friday, September 23rd, and we're calling this the Death by Committee edition. And uh, I've got a great group of guests with me. My name is Keith Dryden. I'm the health reporter, but uh, today I'm the host. uh, Switching chairs with me this week is our opinion page editor, uh, Sarah O'Donnell.
1: Hi, Keith. Thanks for uh, sitting in that chair. (laughs) Although I kind of moved to that one automatically, but I'm happy to be on this side of the table.
0: Well, well, we are happy to have you on that side of the table as well. That's not an insult, I trust. (laughs) me. (laughs) Uh, City columnist Paula Simons is with us.
2: Uh, Sitting in Graham's chair because it's got the bad mic, and apparently my voice is loud enough to overcome. <laughs> Our the qualities will of the be bad shocked mic. to hear Paula's voice carries.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in. This is Graham Thompson. I'm in Paula's chair. Actually,
2: I always think of that as Miriam's chair.
3: Well, yeah. the Miriam Memorial Chair. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we, could Memorial. Call it, we could
1: have called it the Musical Chairs Edition. But
3: ah. I'm feeling a lot more opinionated this morning. Oh, this really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. More, it's, more than usual. It's
0: kind of an empowering <laughs> thing there for you. So we're going to talk about a few things today, a little bit on the PC leadership race. We'll probably get to that at the end. We'll talk a little bit about a trip to New York that uh, the premier took. But we are going to begin with a discussion of some committee shenanigans going on at the legislature this week. Uh, It's a strangely named committee. Uh, Perhaps one of you can kind of give me the history of this. What is this committee? Why was it put together? Uh, What was the point of
3: this? This is the special select committee. Committee on Ethics and Accountability. That's right. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Got that one right. This was a committee set up last year after the warm afterglow, at least in terms of the NDP and the Wild Rose, after the election. You've got Notley, the Premier, and Brian Jean, opposition leader, saying they've sponsored a motion to get a new committee together, a special committee to look at improving democracy.
0: Ah, kumbaya.
3: Yes, and they're all warm and hugging, basically, almost... Um, I'm talking here almost literally. And of course they left out in the cold, even though they're in the committee as the PCs. And this followed after like Bill 1 where the, the NDP put a law in place that outlawed contributions from corporations and unions. And that was a real slap at the PCs. Right, they a lot I remember that, yeah. So this committee is looking at things like uh, whistleblower legislation, but it's also really focused this year, this summer, on election financing. And what's happened though, this committee, most of these committees at, in the legislature have a lot of government members and a few opposition. This one's set up to have eight opposition in total from the various parties and eight government.
1: Which is very admirable, right? Because when you're yes. talking about democracy, you want to have all parties involved in that conversation, or you would think ideally, right? So, very laudable goals, and I think an admirable way to test things out and start to set it up, right. on so, paper.
3: <laughs> right. So you have, you have Wild Rose, you have PCs, Alberta, the Liberals of course have won, and so does the Alberta Party. So eight and eight. And you have one chairperson, um, who's also an ndp and she's there only as a tiebreaker. Well, this <laughs> summer, <laughs> the NDP members brought in motion after motion after motion to change the election financing laws. Everything from um, limiting how much they can raise, how much they can spend. All good things. Uh, the thing is, that they're supposed to be, yes, I, I'll agree. Everyone who says, let's change the laws number. It's the Wild West out here. Right now, people can put up to $30,000 a year in contributions, $15,000 in a given year, 30000 in an election year. And also, they're putting a limit on spending. Also, the motion was put in there saying that if a party or a candidate gets more than 10% of the vote in an election, they get half their money back. And we right. talked about
1: that before. And I think right. most of us didn't like that right now.
3: So so you have all these changes, but they're being rammed through. And what happened is the NDP is bringing the motions and the opposition is saying, well, hold on for a second. Can we slow things down? And the NDP says no, and they're pushing things through. And so the chair, Jessica Littlewood, kept having to break the ties by voting with the government. Of course, she's a government MLA, but this kind of began to undermine her credibility because she was always siding with the government. And so this came to a head... Um, last week last friday the chair uh, jessica littlewood made a telephone call to one of the pc mla's in the committee richard starkey and starkey said uh, she was trying to do some sort of backroom deals to try and get things unplugged in the committee and he said this is completely inappropriate and there's a big kerfuffle on monday when he raised this and littlewood had to recuse herself for the day and it became this big storm this is not actually a fait accompli in a sense that they're not actually passing the laws. Right, so, it
0: still has to go through the legislature. Through the
3: legislature for debate. But the NDP has an even bigger majority there. Exactly. So, so what's actually happening here? All this stuff's going to go to a report to uh, cabinet. They'll be drawing up uh, legislation that may go to the the floor this fall to actually change the actual laws in Alberta. And you have the opposition saying, "Can we all kind of just take a, a breather here and slow things down and take our time?" But the NDP doesn't want to take his time, because it's saying the longer that they delay, the more money can be raised by parties under the, the old system, which they say is inherently unfair. Well, right. it's
2: inherently unfair because the Wildrose is raising more money a- than absolutely. they are. Absolutely, yeah. So, but th- so here's, Graham, what I don't understand. Uh, Jessica Littlewood got in trouble. There were all these allegations of impropriety, that this was somehow unethical. Isn't it the job of the committee chair to try and yeah. broker... This is what I don't consen- understand like either. A, c- ...a consensus? Like, what did... I'm sorry if I'm if I'm sounding naive because I've been mostly covering City Hall this week. Uh, but what on earth did Jessica? I mean, why was it bad that she phoned Richard yeah. Ster?
3: And this is the interesting thing because you've got the opposition saying, "Look, chair, the chairs can call uh, other members just to discuss uh, the, the the timing or uh, the agenda, yeah, the agenda. agenda, yeah." But they say she was overstepping that and talking about what's your position on this? Here's the NDP position on this. So they were saying, if the NDP members had called an, a PC member, it's not a problem. Member discussing with member. They're saying that because she's the chair, talking about the positions of the NDP, she was acting like another NDP member of the committee, as opposed to the chair, oh. and therefore she wasn't acting. As if she was impartial. They wanted to act like the speaker, essentially. That's the analogy they kept using. But see, committees aren't are, are the is same. Is that her
2: role? I mean, when people say, "Oh, she was making backroom deals," that sort of implies, you know, implies that Donald Trump pay for play. I mean, I mean, was she offering people cookies? Was she offering people preferments? See, or, was is, she, or was she just talking out of school? I don't understand. And exactly. this is
3: like it becomes like a he said, she said. You've got. Jessica Littlewood saying all she was trying to do is speed things up and, and discussing basically the agenda and things like that. And you got the government, uh, the PCs rather, saying no, no, no. She was trying to do something behind the scenes and she was acting as if she was a member of the of the NDP um, caucus on that side, which is supposed to be an impartial chairperson. But that's
2: still not what I would call a backroom no, deal. No,
3: and, and I think the, the PCs are overstepping it. Also, I asked Starkey, when she made the telephone call to you and you realized this is inappropriate, did you tell her at that point?
2: Did you hang up? Yeah, and he
3: said no. At first he said, it's not my job to tell the speaker what, what she's doing is inappropriate. Well, if, yeah, well you're doing that on the Monday morning in the meeting. Then later on he said, he was so caught off guard by what she had said that he didn't know how to respond. I just, and I jokingly said, I find it hard to believe that Richard Starkey was caught speechless at yeah. any point. <laughs> he, so so I think that the PCs and opposition are over, overstepping their bounds. And this one, at least they're exaggerating the case. But this is showing just how dysfunctional this committee has become. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Because even though the opposition may be exaggerating things, the government members are equally as guilty of becoming hyper-partisan. If you listen in on these meetings and you read the transcripts, you've got the NDP members baiting the opposition members on issues. On the one, for example, with this, the rebate. You get 10% of the vote, you get half the funding back, when they brought that motion forward, you had the NDP basically saying, Brad Wall supports this, Stephen Harper supports this kind of thing, so mm. you guys should support it. And when somebody in the opposition called the motion obscene, they said, are you calling Brad Wall obscene? Are you calling Stephen Harper obscene?
2: Oh, wow, that's like Twitter trolling yeah, in, so the, uh, in the public sphere. That's fascinating. And
3: so now you've got the government members saying, well, they started it first kind of right. response. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And this week. I get enough of this in my house. <laughs> I, oh. yeah. Yes, yeah. Meeting.
2: yes, Sarah has, has, has three children under 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 the age of 14, so that's why. So but th- this committee's mandate, so we should, I guess, I don't
1: know if Keith was going to. I feel like th- we've got three chairs yeah. here. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Go for it. They're, they are meeting this morning, right? Yeah. So th- that, there could be developments you know, after, our, after, after we record this, but their mandate's almost over, isn't it?
3: Well, that's just it. The mandate right now ends in this month. Uh, And it's supposed to be reconstituted to continue looking at at, the elections acts and things like this. It's supposed to be keeping on meeting. But this week we heard from Brian Mason, the government house leader, who's more or less suggesting things have got so out of hand, so off the rails. They may just let it die on the vine and not bring it back. Because this is not a standing committee. This was set up specially to look at ways of making
2: special select committee. Yes,
3: to look at things, how to make things better more uh accountable unethical and Ethical. it's an interesting word yeah. and the government's uh being accused of being unethical mm. on this so um it's interesting as well because brian mason you know was admitting that he would get up to shenanigans but he was in opposition in in all party committees as well <gasps> yeah no, but he yeah. was saying that they've gone too far but it, on this it's interesting to see just how angry each side is with the other. Normally there's some sort of gamesmanship usually that they get outraged, but behind the scenes they're really good friends. But in this case, they're really angry at each other. They're both convinced they are right and the other side is wrong. And yeah,
0: well, reading some of this, I mean, it you know, the government uh, is accusing the opposition of, you know, essentially filibustering and delaying the proceedings. The opposition people are saying, no, the government's trying to ram things through, and they didn't hold enough meetings to get through the work properly uh, when the com- committee was first formed. Right. So, you know, it's hard to know what to believe. But on the government side... This is a party that said that they would do things differently when they were in government. You know, as an opposition, they, they decried a lot of the things that the PCs did to kind of favor themselves. And so, I, I don't know, I think a lot of people are, from what I hear, are a little disappointed that the NDP has chosen to take up what the PCs to, to be, were do- To be like a government. Yeah, I mean, how? what do you guys think of that? How much are they going from the PC playbook here?
3: It's interesting, that very point, uh, back a few months ago, Brian Mason said, we're all hypocrites when it comes to politics. This was last fall when they're invoking closure um, on on some bills. And you had the opposition saying, this is unDemocratic." the government saying, we've got to do our job here and get things through. And the quotes were exactly the same from years ago when you had the NDP in opposition and the PCs in government. So you have, I think, in in a sense, a government has a, a mandate to get things done. It wants to get things done. They got elected to get things done. They're pushing things through. Now, they are... A lot of the rules they're bringing in in terms of limits on spending seem really tailored to the NDP's although, way of although, doing things. I, although
2: I do have to wonder if that couldn't come back to bite the NDP in the end because the Wild Rose has its war chest. Uh, and so if you cut off their fundraising capacity now, they've still got way more money than anybody else, whereas the NDP is the government in power. I mean, the Alberta narrative is that, pe- is that you know, the players in the – You know, in in the big business offices, give to the government because giving to government is a useful thing. You cover, yes, Sarah says you cover your bets. So, I mean, I could see come election time, this might actually hurt the NDP potentially. But it, you know, maybe we're naive to assume that when the NDP came in that they wouldn't play from the government playbook. I mean, there are certain things that governments do and oppositions do, and they default to those postures and those in that you know that that default rhetoric. Does it not seem like there's a, I I haven't paid as much
1: attention to this committee as you have but I just wonder there's is there no potential for a middle ground or compromise if they extended the mandate of this committee and said okay realistically we are not going to get any law changed in this session but maybe look to the next session in 2017 is there is there mm, no, no potential for compromise so that this I think, very admirable idea of a committee could end up with a success and something that could come to the legislature that would have the support of all parties. Is that not... I,
3: I would say no. I think right now the NDP's on an agenda wants to get, uh, they, they say, big money out of the elections. This is one of the things that... They, this is another hill for them to die on, whether it's climate change, uh, GSAs in schools. I get the impression right now that they're determined to push this through. And th- the problem, a couple of things here. One of the committee, the way it's set up eight and eight, is why this is making major more headlines because normally it'd be like you know 10 government members and four opposition and this this just gonna steamroll over over the opposition um that's that's why this is sort of coming to the fore because it is balanced out of the best of intentions that's gone sideways but going back to the election spendings um the opposition's upset as well because as paula pointed out governments are governments and governments spend a lot of money advertising things and so the government has this unlimited amount of money to promote themselves in advance of an election. And so that's where the opposition is saying, the money will be spent not by us, but by the government using taxpayers' dollars. I certainly
0: remember Rachel Notley and Brian Mason on as opposition opposition members kind of bemoaning that point. We, but, uh, uh,
2: but and uh, the and signs and, mm-hmm. and, and the hypocrisy of the conservatives complaining about it now. Oh, is, I know that is kind is, of funny. It is, is equally yeah. rich. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah.
0: Okay, well, let's uh, let's move on to a different topic uh, across the continent to New York City. Uh, Rachel Notley was there earlier this week. Somebody, somebody, tell me. Uh, how did this happen? How did a premier of Alberta get invited to a climate change week in New York City?
1: Yeah, well, so we talked about this last week, just very briefly, that the premier was going to be going to New York York to talk as part of Climate Week NYC. And she was actually invited to speak on a panel about uh, the challenges of energy transition. So she was on this panel with U.S. Special Envoy for Climate Change, Jonathan Pershing. Is that how I pronounce that correctly? like our in-house climate change expert and all things pronunciation.
3: (laughs) That sounds good to me.
1: Sounds good. Excellent. So she was there on this panel and she had an opportunity to talk about what Alberta was doing. And, you know, we've seen this happen with other premiers in the past. They've gone to New York and Washington and to talk about Alberta's uh, energy economy and what we're doing to keep things green or make things green. And it hasn't always been greeted in the same positive, relatively positive way that it seems like not. Notley was greeted this time.
0: Yeah, how did it go? What what do? How did we hear her performance went over?
3: Well, she claims it went over well, mm-hmm. but uh, she says that, and there's no doubt it probably did. Um, what's happening here is Alberta's explaining what Alberta is doing these days. They're actually a leader on the environment. People, as Notley said, are skeptical because they've heard this message before. You go back over the years. You had Stalmeck in the U.S., um, Prentice, uh, Allison Redford saying. Alberta is open for business and we're an environmental leader. That's the same message from, from Notley. The difference is there's some truth behind it this time when she's actually talking about moving on the environment. You go back uh, three years ago even with uh, Alison Redford going to Washington making a speech and a QA and a afterwards and there was a room full of protesters. Well, there's like half a dozen who are popping up yelling about the oil sands and then being ushered out of the room. This time around, Notley goes there and people are not overtly protesting her and you've got her saying people in the room are quite impressed with what alberta is doing and I, I bet they are compared to what we were doing in the past we're doing better now on the environment but she's also saying come invest in alberta and they're hoping this actually opens the door to get more pipelines built and of course the big answer and answer question is will it make a difference yeah it's
0: always a weird argument right uh we're, we're doing so many things to reduce our carbon footprint to then get pipelines in which will increase our carbon footprint right so well, it, it's but
3: no, not ours uh d- d- down the pipeline so they'll ship it out overseas and have it burnt in china or india right and increase the emissions there
1: do you think <laughs> one of the differences though that this time there isn't an active pipeline debate in the u.s the keystone issue has been basically put to bed down there whereas when allison redford was down there keystone was still very much a live issue uh, it's well not like if
0: donald trump gets elected exactly. it's mm, back right so
2: but i think it's also possible that americans are a little distracted politically right Now I know we think that what we do here is very, very, very important, and you know that we think that it's really important for Albertans to go out to these international events. Uh, American politics is a little focused right now on something other than pipelines, so that I wonder what it could be. Yeah, so that so that that may be part of it, but you know, I'm starting to rue the day I ever uttered the words "social license." in this podcast because <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to add them to my list of words that I will never say. I will never again say that a piece of architecture in Edmonton is iconic. Uh, I never say anything is world class. And I think I'm going to stop talking about social license because I think the idea that somehow we would be able to green our grid and change our economy such that everybody in the world would decide that it was OK for us to continue to have you know bitumen production and uh, heavy oil pipelines For people who are hardcore environmentalists, there is nothing we could do that would ever say to them, okay, now it's all right for Alberta to build pipelines because pipelines are the antithesis uh, of their whole argument. Can we do a better job of attracting investment by marketing ourselves as a greener jurisdiction? I think that's entirely possible.
3: And I think these speeches that premiers make outside the province are often aimed at us back here as opposed to the audience they're talking to. Yeah, that's true. So you've got Notley touting herself, and you've got her office making sure we're all aware she's there talking, and they give us copies of her speech beforehand, and she was available afterwards by teleconference, saying she's on the world stage. Look at this. you know, Here is the premier talking about Alberta's climate change action. So maybe there's critics back home, but uh, you know, on the world stage they're applauding her, and they're applauding Alberta, so that's making a difference. So uh, whether it was Klein or Stalmak, you name it, going to Washington... Um, going to the White House in the case of Klein, it was usually touted as, this is the premier working on your behalf.
0: Yeah, although uh, the other piece of news this week on on climate in Canada, Notley's message may have gotten neutered a little bit by what the federal government did, and I don't know who would like to talk about that.
1: Basically, the federal liberals said that, in fact, they are going to stick to the uh, greenhouse gas emissions reduction targets that the harper government set out that they had previously condemned as not nearly good enough
0: widely so, condemned yes
2: coming right back where we started to the idea that as soon as you're in government the things that the people in opposition said you know i mean you you, you switch roles because turns out when you get into government governing is harder than it looks sometimes <laughs> from the opposition benches
0: yeah no that's true well, well graham That isn't the only thing they did, right? They, I mean, I don't know how well that's going to look uh, on Canada that they've adopted these widely criticized old emission targets. But I think the federal government did make a little bit of a concession on carbon tax, right? The
3: the the pricing of carbon. So you've got that's the other piece. Sorry, and and this is the Liberals (laughs) trying to change the narrative in a sense. Okay, fine, they're going to criticize us over the fact we're taking the old PC targets now. sorry, not PCs, conservative targets. And then they change the narrative, say, by the way, we will impose a carbon. Price on provinces who don't bring their own carbon price to the table. Uh, we don't know the details yet what that actually means. Uh, Alberta is relatively happy because we have a carbon price and they'll be bringing in a carbon tax uh, next year. So you have the Alberta government thinking it's bulletproof that whatever the, uh, Ottawa does isn't going to affect us. Other provinces like Brad Wall in Saskatchewan mm. may have a real problem. He's trying to argue that this his government is subsidizing carbon capture sequestration projects. Therefore, that's government subsidies. Therefore, that's actually a sense of a carbon price.
2: But we were doing that too.
3: Yeah, well, we're still doing it, actually. It's yeah. still $1.2 billion, but it's an experiment. It's... But, I would say it's gone nowhere.
2: But these these things are hard. I I wrote a column this week on the on the City Hall front about the fact that the city of Edmonton in 2012 set itself very ambitious targets to cut emissions from municipal operations. They were going to cut them by 50%, cut them in half by 2020. Well, it turns out they haven't cut them at all. In fact, every year they've gone up and up and up and up. So now they're trying to buy carbon offsets, which doesn't really solve the problem of the fact that we continue to emit. I mean, we've gone in Edmonton from 308,000 tons in in 2008 to being on track for about 400,000 tons in 2018. I mean... It's great to set targets, but as government after government has shown us federally, provincially, municipally, if you set the target and then you don't do anything to to achieve the target, I mean that's how I like to lose weight. I like to set a target that I'm going to weigh 120 pounds, but if I don't actually exercise or change my diet, surprisingly, I never get there.
0: Yeah, well, and I think this is what fuels public apathy and and public antagonism and, towards and public towards, towards governments because, and cynicism. Because, yeah, you
2: know, it's fine to promise, but <laughs> I, as we discussed last week, people really don't want to confront the fact. That cutting emissions in a real way that will make any substantive difference to the pace of climate change is going to mean a, a diminution in the kind of lifestyle that we take for granted. Right. I mean, you should hear the howling. I, I was at the Citadel Theater last night to see uh, the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, and people were horrified to find out that because of the arena, the price of parking uh, in, in the you know in the Library Parkade has gone up to ten dollars. It is an outrage, and I'll bet lots of the people who are ranting about that are the same people who think we should do something about climate change, and who think that you know that that, that the elves should do something about climate change. The idea that maybe they shouldn't drive downtown. Uh, you know, you you cannot have your cake and eat it too. If we if we wish to actually move the dial on any of these things, we have to accept that all of us are going to have to change the way we live. And guess what? We're not there yet.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd like to, I guess, just briefly uh, switch to another topic, just for a minute or two. I want an update on the the PC leadership race here in Alberta. We've uh, last we checked in, we had two candidates in the race. Uh, are we going to get any more?
3: Good well, question. Well, yes. Well, we. <laughs> we we will we expect I think actually Donna Candy Glanz hasn't actually officially I think entered the race well right. I, technically there is no race to enter <laughs> so I guess you <laughs> sure could enough. say Kenny's not in a race either so I, I take your point so it's Donna Candy Glanz of course Jason Kenny uh, other names are coming who forward. Who is now
2: done in Parliament. That's yes. part yes. of the right. official. He and,
3: has and, stepped down.
2: Yeah, Sandra Jansen this week, although she didn't officially declare, she officially launched a Twitter account for her candidacy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Stephen and the word, Carter, yes.
3: his, his name is now out there. He's actually now talking. We've known this for months. Stephen Carter, the uh, the guy behind Nancy when he won the, the mayor's job in Calgary, and the guy behind Alison Redford who won the leadership race for the PCs. And,
2: and briefly in between there the guy behind Daniel Smith. That's right. He was yeah, yeah. Before, yeah
3: he was actually the chief of staff or, a, or some sort of strategist for for her and he bumped back in 40s. He's, he's he's a smart guy. And the thing is the fact that he is talking now about running Jansen's campaign gives Jansen's campaign a, an automatic boost because it's, you know his name is that well known and he's he does take underdogs and makes them winners, so we'll yeah. see what actually happens. I
2: mean, so he, he's, he's both respected and reviled. Well, that, so <laughs> he's a very divisive figure. Absolutely,
3: <laughs> which is probably a, a um, probably badge of honor he, he okay. carries. Um, also, you've got to Richard Starkey, one named Doug Schweitzer. People don't know who he is, but people in the PC circles know who he is. He's a lawyer in Calgary. He helped um, Jim Prentice win the leadership race. He's well-connected. Doug Schweitzer was going to be potentially a real candidate in this race, and he has decided not to run. So even though you might not know who he is, it's caused major ripples in the PC party because they were thinking they're going to get half a dozen candidates, so Kenny could not run away with it. Right. And now we're wondering who will actually be coming forward. Yeah,
0: it's starting to get a little late in the game. Of of those three that you mentioned that could face Kenny, I mean, they all seem to be... somewhat from the progressive side. Um, So you you do wonder at some point if...
3: Well, it's, it's the progressive and we won't blow up the party side. Side, right, yeah.
1: What's interesting, I think, about the PC playing field right now is you do have these, a lot of very Calgary candidates. So here's where... I go back to the election, the, the leadership race that Ed Stelmack actually won. I mean, if you get somebody like Richard Starkey in the race, who is from northern Alberta, rural Alberta, I wonder if that appeal will you know, help make that a different kind of race, because right now it is very calgary
2: Well, Calgary
0: may well be the battleground in the next election, but, though.
2: But what, it's one true. Ha- what one has to remember, of course, is that they're not—I mean, Stelmack won. Because he sold more memberships and it was a membership vote. This is riding by riding. But of course, remember that for thousands of years, the conservatives gerrymandered the province so that there were way more rural ridings relative to the size of the population. So even though... Calgary and Edmonton are, are where the bulk of, of the people in Alberta live. There are far more rural riding associations, and so Sarah raises a really interesting point I hadn't considered i'd been thinking about this as an Edmonton versus Calgary uh, imbalance, but but Sarah's absolutely right. There are way more rural riding associations don't
1: forget Northern Alberta. people always make the mistake of forgetting northern Alberta hey,
3: and speaking of riding, sorry, go ahead I'll no, go. no, no, I was saying uh, one point to watch in the future is that they will be redrawing the boundaries yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah, it's time to do that again. Yeah. So So that's going to be a big issue. So they will will be redrawing the boundaries. So you can imagine there'll be, under the NDP, fewer rural ridings and more ridings given to the cities.
0: Well, we've got just a little bit of time left for our usual feature, good stuff from the gallery when uh, all of us recommend something to watch or listen. Or read uh, that we, we found interst- interesting. Uh, so let's begin with Paula. What have you got this week?
2: Well, those of you who've watched the video will notice that I am wearing my very fabulous green and gold University of Alberta it is very uh, fabulous. Uh, hoodie today because today is green and gold day for U of A alums such as myself. So I am representing here. And in the spirit of uh, green and gold, I would like to recommend a really fascinating uh It's a really fascinating video lecture by Peter Sankoff, who's a professor of criminal law at the University of Alberta. He does these regular sort of video chats about points of law. And this is his analysis, not just of the Travis Vader decision from last week, which was so controversial, but what the legal options are now for Mr. Justice Denny Thomas, as we try to figure out what to do if Thomas's Uh, original verdict was unconstitutional what are the potential remedies for this
0: okay well anyone who's been following the vader case should be interested in that for sure Uh, my good stuff this week is a article by josh wingrove who briefly worked here at the edmonton journal um, and at the globe and mail in edmonton for a a number of years Uh, he's writing for bloomberg now and he's written an article called why canadians are being offered cash to abandon their homes and it is a very sad little tale about this dying fishing village in newfoundland uh, presented with some very tough options uh, about whether to, to just die out and, and move on or to try and keep this little hamlet going. Uh, and there's great division in, in the community. But it is a microcosm of, uh, I think, uh, Alberta and, and perhaps the rest of Canada as well as we struggle uh, to kind of get off a resource economy. So it's uh, I, I found it very beautifully written from Josh Wingrove. Uh, Sarah, what about you?
1: I'd like to recommend a column from Doug Cuthand, who's a columnist with the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, and he went down to North Dakota. Uh, the headline of the story is, Aboriginal People Take Historical Stand on Land in North Dakota. He went to the uh, Camp at Standing Rock in North Dakota, where folks are protesting the Dakota Access Pipeline. This is an uh, issue that I am working to learn more about. And I thought that it was interesting to read the piece from his perspective, so I recommend that.
3: All right, Graham. What about you? Uh, we haven't mentioned Donald Trump for a while, so. <laughs> well, I mean, if you don't cut the beginning of the podcast, Paul has ran about. I, no, it. I meant I meant in the last fifteen minutes. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, th- Steve Stephen Colbert did a great take take down take on um, Donald Trump when he mentioned the birtherism issue. You know, uh, Obama was born in the U.S. period. That's it. Well, Stephen Colbert is on YouTube as well, um, does a great monologue, you know, taking Trump to task. You know, for five years, he was bringing all this racist crap and just wants it to end. Also, Trump is blaming Hillary Clinton for raising the you birther sta- issue. You started it, is basically yes. Yeah, which, yeah. of course, is a line, and it's really strongly worded. It is wonderful to watch. If you're not a Trump fan you will love it if you don't if, if you if you are a Trump fan you're not going to watch it anyway so it is really good. <laughs> all, <You> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: well we will post links to all of that. Uh, I guess that is the episode our first episode of the fall sorry summer is gone. Oh, uh, I, uh, I, know. I know but uh, fall is good for politics we are going to ramp up here very shortly session gets started in uh, six weeks or so or maybe even a month. Uh, thanks very much to Larry Wong, who is our videographer today and uh, will post a clip uh, on our website. You can find previous episodes of the Press Gallery uh, at EdmontonJournal.com. Uh, you can also get episodes on TuneIn Radio, iTunes, and our SoundCloud feed. Uh, thanks to Graham, Paula, and Sarah. We will be back next week in the Press Gallery.